Luke chapter 7 now as we get into the Bible study. Hope you're taking all this in. And again, I trust the Lord just to sit with you, nudge you on the shoulders and tell you what you need to hear today. There's sermon notes on the chair backs. And so if something pops out to you, when I go up to Antioch Christian Training School, man, it is intense. And I tell the students, I said, don't just write all the details of the messages and the sermons. Okay, write the big thoughts, the aha moments, the ones that were like written in gold, if you would, they're for you. I need to meditate on that. I need to write that down. Otherwise, I'll forget it. And so those notes are there for you. I hope you're a student and you're going to uh, learn today and that God will feed you individually what you have come here to receive from him. Uh, I've prayed a lot, but I'm going to pray now again for this time because I need it, and so do you. Now, Father, it's in Jesus' name now we study your word, and we ask, Lord, that your word would become alive to us, that it would produce fruit in us, that it would be a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, that it, Lord, would be a sword in our hand, that, Lord, it would enable us to then cut through the darkness and the lies. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that minds would be opened up to the truth today, not because of me, but because of the truth today. And so, Lord, I ask for your help in that. You know that I'm not necessarily having the best day uh, so far, and so I commit myself to you and submit, Lord, and ask that thy will be done. We thank you again for the missionaries and those stepping out in faith. Bless the baptisms later. If there's somebody here today that needs to get baptized that hasn't yet been, today may be that day. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us that confidence that comes from knowing you. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, it should be in Acts chapter 7, verse 22 is where we're going to begin. And I'll set the stage for you quickly. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is doing miracles. Wherever Jesus goes, he heals people and does miracles. When Jesus shows up, stuff happens, okay? Demons shriek and freak out, and Pharisees bug out. But the people who are being saved, man, they trip out in the things of God, and their lives begin to then flip out, and things begin to produce fruit. Jesus just, there was no neutral ground with him. He even said, if you're for me, then you're not against me. But if you're not for me, you are against me. You're one or the other. And there are people today that would say, no, no, I'm not, not against Jesus. I'm just not for him. Eh. You can't make up your own rules. He, he said, I am that I am. I am the Almighty. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one that comes to the Father except through me. But all who would call upon me and all whosoever would reach out to me, free access to the Father. Come on in. But I'm the only way. It is absolutely, listen, students, you need to get this. Because we live in a very pluralistic, watered down, messed up everything's okay, society, and it's not okay. It is completely exclusive. What? Did you say that? Yeah, completely exclusive to Jesus Christ. But, but listen, it is also completely inclusive. Everybody can have a chance. When somebody says to you, Christianity's so exclusive, so yeah, it's exclusive to anybody and everybody who would do this, who would humble themselves and say, darn it. I can't do it. I've not done it well. I've actually done wrong. I need a savior. I, I cannot. Lord, can you? And it's a three-step dance. I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. Okay, it's the I can't. He can. That doesn't get you anywhere. I think I'll let him. I'll step into salvation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe what he has said. And Jesus changes everything. And if you're a Christian here today, you know this and you're walking in this. Yep, don't you have questions from time to time? Like questions, maybe authentic questions, kind of just freaky questions, weird questions. John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin, and he had questions. 
He saw Jesus, and he knew that he was the Christ. Yet when life got tough for Jay the Bee, John the Baptizer, when he got incarcerated for righteousness, he's like, I kind of thought being a Christian would be easier. thought you might have something for me, Jesus. And he asked that question. Hey, Jesus, are you? I need to know. I just need to know. Are you the one? Okay, just, just let me know. Because if you are the one, I'll stick and stay and make it pay. And I'll extend my head, put it on a platter, and get it cut off of my body, which is what he would do. But if you're not the one, I'll look for another. Not a big deal. I'm not going to die for nothing. I'll die for something, though. And John asked that question. And when Jesus heard that question, he was right in the middle of a healing service, and people were being delivered, and the lame walking, and the dead rising. I mean, crazy stuff. And Jesus said this. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to teach. Look at verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, you go and tell John. Remember, he's Liam Neeson at this point. Being interrupted in the middle of, you know, he's just, did, did you ask me a question? Okay, you go tell John the things that you see and the things that you hear. That the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This is the message he said, go tell John who's in jail. I'm not getting him out. He's staying there and he will die. And so I want this to be the last message he has to hold on to as I do not answer his prayer of deliverance. That's heavy duty right there. And Jesus slips in at the very end, and blessed is he who's not offended by me. You tell John not to be offended at this. That's some heavy words, Liam Neeson. Jesus telling John, stay the course, bro. This is so important, especially for you who are on a course of difficulty right now. Maybe you're a righteous Christian here. You're like, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm I honestly can say I'm doing my best. I really am. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm honestly just, I'm grinding it out. I'm working a couple of jobs. I got a family I'm loving. I'm staying faithful, and I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, and I, I do make mistakes, and I fail, and I sin, but I, but I own that stuff, and, and life's tough for me. It's difficult. What do I, Lord, it, it seems like it should be easier for me. I'm getting sued right now. I'm getting divorced right now. I'm getting medical bills right now. I'm getting sick right now. What the heck? And the Lord would say to you, possibly today, I'm doing stuff everywhere, all over the place. I am changing lives, changing cultures, changing families, changing eternities. Don't be offended at what's going on in your life. That's a heavy-duty message, but it's a message that will set you free right now in the midst of your incarceration. It will set you free in the midst of your pain, tragedy, setback, and test. See, we want, we want things to be different. Absolutely different. I want a different this, a different that, a different, you know. And God says, what if it doesn't change? What if, though, the good news can go right through those prison walls into your situation, and you grab that truth? Reminds me of Fanny Crosby and her great faith. Fanny Crosby, the blind hymn writer. She would write hymns, famous hymns that we've all sung before all of us. She's wrote over 8,000 hymns, okay? I don't even know 8,000 words, you know what I'm saying? This girl was gifted, and she wasn't born blind. It was a mistake, medical error. Age 18 months, a doctor blew it. Can you imagine living that way? Like, you, you shouldn't be blind, but you are. Sorry about that. And when interviewed many, many times and asked, would you like, would, would you have changed things? Oh, no way. Never. The, the way that I know God in my blindness, 
the way that I look forward to seeing God after my blindness, there's nothing like it. The first person I'll ever see and remember is Jesus Christ. I wouldn't change a thing if I could. That kind of faith. And you who are older here, been through a thing or two, and now you've seen that you made it. And you, you see where you're at. There's an oddity about the failures, the tragedies, and the difficulties you've been through where you can say, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, but you lost a child. You lost a marriage. You lost health. You lost a, a, a dad. You lost, I know, I know, and, and crazy, crazy. I, don't, I wouldn't change a thing the way that God has brought me through it and taught me through it. This is so heavy duty. One of my favorite portions of scripture to date is right here. Jesus looking at his cousin John saying, John, I'm not getting you out, bro. I'm not, but I need you to know what I'm doing. I need you to take this to the platter. Remember his head would be put up on a platter. It's hardcore. And he says, blessed is he. In, in other words, happy is he who is not offended by me. The word offended here is quite, quite, quite a colorful word. It's used in a lot of different ways, and it literally means to be trapped. It would be the same thing as a stick underneath a box that would entrap an animal that just knocks that stick away and becomes scandalized or trapped by something. He said, don't be trapped. Don't, don't get caught in stinking thinking. Blessed is he who's not offended by me. Then these dudes take off. I'm reading still. I haven't even started preaching yet, so stop, stop, stop looking at me that way. Verse 24. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. I love this. These guys are gone now. Okay, we got John's little Hallmark card, you know. Jesus is doing stuff. Quit crying, you know. Here's your Hallmark card, John. Don't be offended. And then he starts talking about John. You would imagine John's in trouble at this point, questioning Jesus. And again, Jesus can handle your questions. I hugged a person yesterday at the soccer fields. She said, I'm writing down my questions for you, Pastor. I've got some big ones, big, big questions. Just going through devastation recently, great, great loss. I said, all right, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to those questions. And this, John had questions. And John's friends go away, and Jesus then turns to the crowds. Let me tell you about my cousin John. And maybe he changes his voice now from Liam Neeson to maybe Mr. Rogers or something like that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if any of that even happened. But here's what he did say. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes, probably like Liam Neeson still. And he said this, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. But what did you go out to see? Did you see a man clothed in soft garments, some hipster out there? The answer again is no. Indeed, those are who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. Now remember, John was in the king's dungeon. Kind of this satire parallel here. It's not who John was. John wasn't this guy, pushover, reed shaken in the wind, unable to stand with the wind. That's not who John was. He says this, verse 26. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Ha <laughs> ha. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. What? John has a, a whole verse dedicated specifically to him in the Old Testament. 400 years prior to his birth, his birth, birth, a verse for his birth. He says this, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That's John. Oh, that's insane. 
He goes on to say, this is Jesus talking about his cousin who just got sentenced to death. For I say to you, among those born of women, listen, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I want you just to let that sink in. I'm going to teach on it a little bit. Jesus, let me tell you about John, who's about to die. I'm not going to save him. He's going to die. I'll, I'll die right after him. John's the greatest prophet ever to live. Now, that's a crazy statement right there. I mean, how many of you guys know your Bible a little bit? Like, you got Isaiah the prophet, you got Jeremiah, man, you got all these, you got Daniel, and you got, you got Hosea and Amos, you got all the minor prophets and the major prophets. By the way, the major and minor is only due to how much they wrote, not like their pay salary, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were all great guys and, and gals who lived for the Lord. You, you got Elijah, you know, calling down fire, 66 words he prayed for those who hated God, and they all got smoked and torched up, you know, and just the power these guys had. Elisha, who had double the anointing of Elijah, all those guys. Jesus shows up and says, yeah, you want to know who's the greatest? John. Now, this trips me out a little bit because John didn't call down fire. He didn't even have this crazy prayer life. He, he didn't write any books. Okay, there's no, like, the book of John the Baptist, the book of Jer. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't part the water. He didn't multiply bread. He didn't even, what did John do? We'll talk about that because he's the greatest. And if you want to be great here today, and I would just kind of introduce our time together, you should want to be great. You should want to be the greatest that you could possibly be. You should do it in, under biblical terms because the world's greatness is different than God's greatness. Have you figured that one out? The world operates on a whole different scale of greatness. You know what I'm saying? What the, what the world says is great. Did you know that in today's society, you can actually do nothing and become great in today's society? Okay, they're called actors, okay? You know what I'm saying? You can do nothing and become great, you know, and become the most influential and loudest voice in the culture, actors and musicians and politicians. You know, I'm just kidding. You, know, you can do nothing, become famous, and what have you done? And yet God says, I want you to be great. Oh, cool. How do I be great? John the Baptist was great. We're going to learn from him seven reasons why. I think it is. I didn't count, but I think there's seven reasons in my notes today why John the Baptist was great and how you can live a great life. But let me just underscore it. If you are in here today and you're like, I don't want to be great. That sounds prideful. It's false humility. You should want to be great. You should want to leverage and maximize who you are for God's glory and others' good. That should be what motivates you. Let me be the greatest for others' good and your glory. I got three kids, and I'm really trying to teach them that life is about serving others, being the greatest, being the, applying yourself, being faithful in the little things, and God will put you over the big things, whatever the little things are. Yesterday, my nine-year-old son Noah was out scooping up the dog's poo. And I was watching from the window, and he's out there looking around for dog poo, you know, and he's like, looking, oh, there's something, you know, scooping it up. And I was, just, I, I was blessed. Here's my boy, sir. I asked him to do it. It's his lawn. He plays in it. You know? It's for his own good, really, if you think about it. But I know what it's like to pick up the dog poo. It's not fun. It's not, not glorious. But there's a lot of things in life that aren't fun and glorious, but you've got to do them. Okay? To, to, to serve others good and to live for God's glory. And I am so blessed to raise up a family and to even look myself in the mirror and to just step up to the plate. What I'm about to do, I'm going to do the, the best I can, whatever it is, even if it's something menial or something marginal, just something fun. I'm going to do good at what I do now for God's glory and for others' good. 
what we're going to learn from John the Baptist today. So jump back up, then I'm going to read the rest of it, and then we'll study it together. I've already prayed 19 times today, so we don't need to do that again. Uh, look at verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus told John in his moment of darkness what he was doing. It's so fun to talk about Jesus and what he's doing. I need you to get this. This is what life groups are all about, where we get together and say, how are you doing? Well, I actually feel like I'm falling apart here and work's tough and my health is this and, and I feel like I'm incarcerated. And then you, you slowly begin to heal and hear one another and then you start to talk about Jesus and what he's doing in the midst of your stuff. I counsel people and talk to people and I'm friends with people. And if you're really mature in the Lord, you'll, you'll need to talk about your stuff for a second, for sure. I'm with you. Here's what I'm going through. But then when the Lord takes over, and you start talking about the Lord, and I've seen this counseling with people over the last 20 years of ministry, where I'll hear what's going on and then talk about the Lord. I'll talk about the Lord for anywhere from five minutes to five hours, depending on how much coffee I've had. And at the end of the talking about the Lord part, I look for the response. And it's interesting. Sometimes it's, oh, man, the Lord. That's so, and it's more, the, more of the Lord. Otherwise, sometimes, though, it's right back to where I'm at. You know, like I didn't hear a thing about the Lord. I'm just stuck in my thing. And I would just say Jesus said to him, you're, in a, you're, you're stuck, and maybe you're looking for a key to get out of your jail. It's not going to happen. But is what, what is going to happen right now is I'm doing stuff in the midst of where you're at. Just the other day, I think it was Friday it was, went to my mom and dad's house. We dropped off our kids and went to Florence and rode some horses, just normal stuff, and uh, went down there and did that and, and came back, and we were, I was kind of ready to go home and pick up the kids, and I was sitting in the, my, the living room with my mom and dad, and, and my dad began to talk about, about stuff, and I just kind of settled. I realized what was happening. Oh, we're talking. We're having a good, I, I don't need to go, and I'm just being real honest with you guys, and he began to talk about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in his own life, and all of a sudden, I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to stay there and listen and hear what God was doing in their lives and how God was leading them and what's really important and the beauties of the Lord. He was sharing testimonies from their life groups and all the rest. And I just want to encourage you who are in the middle of busyness or headaches or difficulties, just ask yourself, do I talk about Jesus ever? Is he on my phone? Do I, do I listen to sermons while I drive? Troy Hart texted me earlier today. He's like, I'm driving to Idaho. Give me some good guys to listen to, some good sermons, man. What are you listening to, you know? I need to fill my mind with sermons, and I just love it. And I would just challenge you guys. This is what Jesus gave in his moment of darkness, talking about Jesus. And Jesus said this, I'm doing stuff. Did you know that uh, in other portions of Scripture, Jesus would say something like this? He would say, believe me when I talk. Believe me when I teach. And if not for what I talk or what I teach, believe me for what I do. If there's any critics here today and you, and you just wonder, I don't know about the scriptures and if it's accurate or if it's authentic, I don't know, you know. Jesus did stuff that no one else could do. If you reject Jesus and what he said because you don't like what he said, you better accept what he said based on what he did. And if you reject what Jesus said and you reject what Jesus did, you're an idiot. <laughs> I said that real carefully. <laughs> if you guys know that, I just... The delivery is important there. It's going to be softer when you hear it from me. If you reject Jesus for what he said and, and for what he did, what in the world? Jesus said it. Believe me. If, if, not, if not, believe me for my works, man. Jesus was doing stuff. Always doing stuff. And if you're a Christian here and you need to be encouraged today because you're in the, man, Everything, everything's all jacked up, okay? Hit, hit pause on all that, it's true. 
and rejoice in that Jesus Christ, your Savior, is doing stuff with or without your help. He's on the prowl. He's good to go. This encourages me. I don't always feel great. Anybody ever here not always feel great? I don't feel like doing stuff all the time. I don't feel like, you know, being right all the time. I don't feel like helping people all the time. Sometimes I just feel like, you know, like somebody gave me decaf or something. <sighs> and then I get together with some Christians. It's crazy. And you start to talk about what Jesus is doing. Oh, it's so fresh. I showed up this morning not wanting to be here. I had a headache and no sleep and busy week. I just, oh, man. And next thing I know, I'm praying at the 8.30 prayer time. And, and I, I would rather have been no place else. This, and, and, and still, right now, this is it. This is it. What Jesus is doing. Last night, I got to go to the Lights of Hope uh, event. And uh, there's a couple hundred of us, maybe less than 200, uh, gathered there in the cold, there at the waterfront, and just sharing testimonies and stories. Because Jesus is real. Jesus, it's, it's worth it. Jesus saves lives. Right now, wherever you're at, in your battle, I need you just to believe. Jesus is real. In, in your marriage, in the difficulties, believe. He's real. In, in your, your fight for your own health, he's real. Believe it. Right now, in your depression or your fear, your brokenness, maybe you're just devastated. You can't even put your finger on why. I just, I just, I'm just not right. Jesus is real. You need to believe it. He says, though, in verse 23, blessed is he who's not offended. Okay, this is directly to John. John, hold on to this one. He's going to put a stick in your mouth and bite down, okay? Don't fall out of the tree. This is a, you need to hang on to me. I'm doing stuff. I hope this doesn't offend you, okay? John was great, number one, because he had questions. We talked about that last week. If you have questions about Jesus, you should ask them and talk about them and get good answers. Number two, John was great because he believed the message, Okay, he received this message, and he stayed the course. He wasn't offended. Did you know that he could have said, if you're not the way, the truth, and the life, then I'm going to get myself out of jail. I can work a deal with Herod. He kind of likes me. I'm going to just stay here. He could have. He believed, and he endured, and he died. Okay? John would take all of his disciples that he had, his friends, and give them to Jesus. He, he would so believe and be so not offended at his plight, his situation. And I would just ask you a couple questions. Are you willing to suffer like John did for Jesus? Are you willing to let others go towards Jesus and maybe even away from yourself? Don't be offended. Let me just say this quickly. Okay, the Bible tells us how to live, and that, that offends some people. Okay, the, the Bible says that there's only one way, and that, that offends some people. The Bible says other ways are wrong. That offends some people. I put something on Facebook the other day, and it, was, it got out of control. I had to take it down. If you saw it, you saw it. And it, it was calling out some false doctrines. Not sinners, not, not, not picking on people, but this is false doctrine. This isn't true. And people thought I was crazy for pointing out somebody else's untruth. Listen, the Bible does it. It's not, not my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like the, it's the Bible. The Bible says it. And it, Jesus said, don't be offended. No, you got it. Contrast. Oh, but that offends me. That goes right down my row and right in my thing. And that's right what I believe. And then you look over and Jesus is changing lives. And you have to make a decision. Do I want to be right and wrong while Jesus does everything? Or would I be willing to say, okay, okay, I don't want to be offended. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to adjust. And I always tell you, sometimes the Bible feels like rubbing you the wrong way. You ever pet, pet a cat the wrong way? Okay, you know, you know how to fix that? You turn the cat around. <laughs> you just turn the cat around, just keep in the Bible. Man, it rubbed me the wrong way. Well, turn around. <laughs> Write that down. That's good stuff. 
The Bible has all kinds of stuff that's offensive, unless you turn your thinking around. Okay? The Bible says oftentimes that what we're doing is sinful. It's offensive. Okay? You're offending me. Okay? The Bible says that you'll be judged if you don't let Jesus forgive you. The, the Bible says that there is only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. I was talking to a friend of mine and um, sharing testimonies of somebody who said, I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. There's no way that there's only one way to heaven. I, don't, I would never impose my beliefs on anybody. And the Bible says we're to share the truth with people. The truth will set them free. The, the Bible can be offensive. Jesus said, don't be offended. Okay? He was healing and ministering, and people were offended by him. Look at verse 24. And when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And again, I, I love how he really did love John, even as he kind of had to give him some hard coaching. Anybody ever been hard coached? You ever had your coach grab your face mask and crawl inside your helmet with you? You know, just kind of spend some time in there, you know? I have. I've been hard coached, you know? What's your coach doing? Your, your, or, or your coach or your parent, your pastor, your friend, your spouse, your accountability partner? That's some people. Get in my business, okay? Jesus loves you. And if he calls you out on your junk, if he calls you out on whatever your junk is, maybe it's a sin, it's a biblical sin, or maybe it's just an attitude, maybe it's a thinking, whatever he calls you out on, he, he is rooting for you. He loves you. This is so important. Today I had to discipline my kids just a little bit because uh, there was hours in the day and they were awake and that's how it works. And so, um, <laughs> and I always make sure and underscore, hey, I don't like disciplining. I don't get joy out of this. I'm not doing this for me. I'm actually doing it for you. I want you to be a good man or a good woman. I want you to grow. And, want, and when you get disciplined or called out, man, one of the best parts of that process is that the Lord is maturing you. Discipline doesn't seem fun at any time for that season, the book of Hebrews tells us, but in the end, it yields righteousness and fruit and peace. Well, Jesus begins to speak then about his cousin, John. And again, John was great because he believed this message. He wasn't offended. He would stay the course. And I really like this guy because these guys go back and Jesus talks about him. And the third reason why John was great is because he lived for heaven and not himself. Look what it says here. Jesus, red letters, verse 24. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's court. Stop right there, eyes up here. First of all, John was willing to live for heaven and not himself. He went out in the wilderness to preach. Kind of a small point here. But if you're going to go start a ministry, don't do it in the woods. Okay? You want it to be successful, you want it to be nice and favorable, Like, have, pick a cool spot. And I see this all the time. Guys start ministries or plant churches, and they're like, you know, I'm praying about going to Hawaii, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. And, uh, or whatever. And John says, I'm going to go to the woods, okay, because it's not about where I'm at. It's about who I'm living for. And he was willing to take a job that wasn't favorable because God told him to. And I would just say he was great because he was willing to live for heaven, not the comforts and the craziness of earth. Now, now we, we're very much earthly here. We're attracted to things that are beautiful and, and easy and soft. John went to the wilderness because God told him to. And if you want to be great, live for heaven, not just earth. This is important. You may not be successful in this right away, but write it down. I want to live for heaven, not earth. Earth, Earth's going to fade away and heaven's going to be forever. Okay, your comforts, your joys, your glories will be eternal. Live for the joy of heaven, not just earth. John was also great, number four, because he was courageous and fearless. He wasn't a pushover. He says this, who'd you go out in the woods to see a reed shaken in the wind, a pushover? John wasn't a pushover. He was a man's man. 
You guys ever imagine John the baptizer? He's got a camel skin jacket and ropes around, you know, and dreadlocks, and he's eating honey sticks and spitting grasshopper wings out and yelling from the woods. And people are showing up by the droves. He's got crowds. This guy was evidently a good preacher, okay? It's hard to draw a crowd when you have seats and coffee and bathrooms. This guy was in the woods, and crowds were showing up, and he's yelling at them like, he was courageous. And people want to be around people who are courageous. They, they want people to stand up for something. If you don't stand up for something, you're going to lay down for everything. Did you go out to see a reed flapping in the wind, just being blown around? Not John. That's not who. Jesus is saying this, by the way. John, here's the message. Not letting you out, but I am doing stuff. And then he looks at everyone else and says, guys, what do you guys think about John? Dude, that guy was, he's legit. He wasn't some pushover. And there's a lot of, here's the deal, Christians. Listen, please. There's a temptation to just get pushed over in today's culture. It's really, it's really interesting nowadays. And you can say, well, I'm a believer like John. And then here comes your boss. And you go, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not really a believer. I was just kidding around, you know, to keep your job or your reputation. Or, or I'm a believer, but what if they don't like me? Oh, you know, and, and we get into this popularity contest kind of deal. And, oh, man, I, I'm a believer. And you're trying to stay focused. But, oh, dude, she's hot, you know, and you're not a believer anymore. You know, whatever. All these things. I believe, but I want that promotion. And. John was willing to eat bugs and honey sticks and wear a rope, you know, and stay in the wilderness. Jesus went on to say, we're kind of just building up to this theme. Jesus is, John's the greatest in the whole world. He, he goes on to say in verse 25, but what did you go out to see a man clothed in soft garments? No, John was a man. John's the guy you wanted to call. If someone breaks into your house, you call John. You know what I'm saying? Like, someone's in my house. John, come over. John's going to come over. He's not some guy wearing soft clothing like he's in a king's house. Verse 26, it says, what did you go out to see, a prophet? And I say to you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. And I would say this for the fifth reason, if you're taking notes. John was great because his life was biblical. Okay, he lived for God's purpose. He had a verse dedicated to him, but you and I have many verses dedicated to us as well. Here's a simple question. Is your life biblical? I didn't say perfect. Okay. Are you living a biblical life? Surrender to God. Everything changes when this happens, by the way, Christian. Ever since I surrendered my life to being a biblical Christian, I just want God's will, not my own. That's, that's simple. I've not been perfect. I have made many mistakes, okay? So will you. But at least I'm aiming in the right direction. I'm focused on God's kingdom. I have been focused on other kingdoms. Don't raise your hand, but have you? And when you just surrender, I want to be a biblical Christian. Whatever the Bible says, I'll believe it. I had a guy in Fred Meyer pull me aside on maybe Friday or Thursday. He said, hey, I want to ask you a question. And he asked me about my faith in, in the Bible. He said, when, when did you get that? When did God give you faith? I said, it's, it's a gift. By the way, faith is a gift when God opens up your eyes. And I said, for, for me, it, it, I've always had it. It's a good, I've never doubted the Bible in my entire life. I've always wanted to be a biblical Christian unless I started to be my own person. I did that for many years until I submitted. And I would just make it very simple to you today. John had a verse for him. That what made him great? This is he of whom he has spoken. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Here's a question for you. Do, do you want to have a life that surrenders fully to God's word, okay? If you do, God will give you the desires of your heart. You delight yourself in him, he'll, he'll, he'll take your life and make you great as well. Well, John was great because he had a life that was biblical and he lived for God's purposes. Look at verse uh, 28. It says, for I say to you among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. There's a semicolon there, so let's just figure this part out first. Jesus says that he's the greatest one that ever lived. Why is that? I would say to you, 
because John's message was the clearest of all the prophets. All the prophets had prophecies of what was to come and how it's to flow. The Messiah's coming, the Messiah. When John was there, he's like, he's here. He had the, quick, the, the shortest distance between his finger and the actual Messiah. It's right here. All the other prophets foretold of one to come. John was able to say, it's Jesus. I say that to say this. I want you guys to be great. I want you to know how to get to greatness. How do I live a great life? Point to Jesus. It's that simple. Point your kids to Jesus. Point your spouse to Jesus. Point your friends to Jesus. Point yourself to Jesus. You don't need to raise your hand, but you ever find yourself needing a reminder? Okay? Maybe your spouse needs a reminder or getting into stinking thinking or they start spiraling out and start getting weird. Hey, as, as a spouse, your job is to help, help your spouse get back to Jesus. You'd be the greatest. When you get all messed up and weirded out, get, get back to Jesus. What made John the greatest? All of these things. He asked questions. He believed them. He wasn't a pushover. He was courageous and strong. His life was biblical, but I would say this, number six. John was great because he pointed people to Jesus. Look at verse 29. We're going to see what happens now. i got some ground to cover and we're done. When all the people heard him, that's Jesus, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. This is fun. Let me read the next verse just so you see the contrast. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Stop right there, eyes up here. This, there's two groups of people. One was tax collectors and sinners. The others was Pharisees and lawyers. I got some good lawyer jokes, but I don't have any time for that, so I got to keep going. <laughs> sorry, Bruce, you're here, but sorry, you know. Two, two groups of people. And it's pointed out here that one group was previously baptized by John in the Jordan River for the remission of their sins to prepare a way for Jesus. They were already baptized in John's baptism, different than what we're doing for Linda today, different baptism. John's was. This is before Jesus had died. These other guys, though, were offered the opportunity to be baptized by John, too. And it says that they rejected God's will for themselves. They weren't baptized previously. And then when the word of God came succinctly, they rejected that, too. Because in order to get baptized into John's baptism, you had to get into the dirty, yucky, crazy Jordan River. And you had to get into that river because your sins had wrecked you. And you had to get in that river with murderers, with drunks, with perverts, with liars, fornicators, adulterers. You had to get in that river with the narnars and say, I'm, I'm one. I belong here. And the Pharisees and the lawyers, the law keepers, those guys, like, I'm not getting in that water. Are you kidding me? The water's gross and the people in there are grosser. And, and the lack of humility is incredible. And so Jesus comes and says, here's what's going on. And he starts preaching and teaching. And at the end of this message here about John and what he's doing, these guys who had previously confessed their sins, if you would, oh, they, they justified God is what it says in my Bible. They glorify God. They pointed to God and said, he is right. God is true. And this is the response that sinners, sinners, okay, Sinners who are comfortable in their own skin, not pious and high and mighty and high and holy and all the rest. When they hear the gospel preached and the good news explained, they sit there in their mess. They're still a mess. And they say, yes, God is right even more than I thought. Oh, my goodness. And worship comes from them. But those who don't see themselves as sinners, not that bad. There's a whole bunch of them, maybe even some here. I sure hope not. I'm not that bad. And we have our list of super bad people that we're better than. So I'm not that bad, you know. 
in that list, you've got Hitler and some other weirdos, you know, and guys on America's Most Wanted. And, like, I'm not at that list. And it's like, that's good. That's a high watermark for you. Keep that up. That's good, you know. Stay out of that list, and we'll all be okay. But unfortunately, it's the wrong list of comparison. It, you, need, you must compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And when you compare yourself to God Almighty, to Jesus Christ, you realize, no, I'm a sinner. I need to. John, would you baptize me? Would you put me under to prepare a way for Jesus? And then Jesus shows up, and what do you know? There's a connection made. You have to put yourself in that position of being the one in need. These Pharisees were the leaders. The lawyers were the leaders. They couldn't find themselves inferior or needing to be led. I'll tell you what, I love being a part of the, the leadership here at South Beach Church and knowing the elders and, and the board. and every, We all realize we need to be led. Nobody hears, oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm not, not that bad. You know? No, we're all so aware of who we are that the obvious reaction is just to justify God. We see this happening here. I'm going to read verse 29 and 30 again. Keep going because I want you to see this. When all the people heard him, which is what you're doing today, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John, their hearts were prepared. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord then said this, Liam Neeson voice again, to what shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? Because Jesus sees this contrast. He knows that he is making a dividing line here. And he says this, he uses a couple Jewish idioms, if you would. He says, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourn for you and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. Listen, he, he led this perfectly legalistic life, which is what they wanted. He was under the law. John the Baptist is the last person to be under the law, the last prophet, different than you and I. We are now under the new covenant, not of legalism, but of love. Okay, Jesus would die for us and accept us based on love covenant rather than a legalism covenant that John had. And so Jesus would say, John came. And he fulfilled the law for you guys, playing the flute, and you wouldn't even dance. And then he goes on to say this. For jo verse 34, and the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine bib, or a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He concludes the matter by saying, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus looks at these guys, the Pharisees. And he says, when John came, he was righteous. He didn't touch the wine. He didn't do anything. He kept the law. Raised by a priest himself, Elizabeth and Zechariah, a miracle child. You guys know John. And John starts preaching, and he's offending you. And so you say, oh, John's got a demon. That's the problem. He's just got a little demon problem. A demon problem? And then Jesus says, and when I showed up, I, 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 I'm not living that lifestyle. I'm here with the people, and I'm doing stuff, and I'm mingling with folks, and I'm ministering to the sinners. And by the way, when it says Jesus is a friend of sinners and a wine-bibber and a glutton, those are all words that he never spoke of himself but that were given to him as a stereotype. And I would say this. Jesus was not a friend of sinners and wine-bibbers and gluttons in the sense that he was like them. He was a friend of the sinners and the gluttons in the wine bibbers, in the sense that he was there to help them. I need that to settle in. Maybe this will change everything about the way you live your life, too. Jesus was not their friend in the sense that he was just like them. 
How many of you guys have friends that are just like you? I mean, most of my friends are kind of just like me, you know, just kind of really cool. I'm kidding. <laughs> but they're like me. Jesus said, I'll be your friend, but I'm not like you. But I am your friend in the sense that I want to help you. What Jesus is saying with these parallel idioms there's people crying and you're not crying with them. There's people singing and you're not singing with them. There is a generation, then and now, highly critical of everything. No matter what way you frame it, they're going to reject the will of God for themselves. No, no matter how it looks. No matter what happens. And Jesus says this in verse 35. You who are believers here, get this. And you who are not believers here, get this. Jesus said, there's people playing flutes and you're not dancing. What are you, super critical? There's people mourning and weeping, and you're not weeping with them. No matter what we do, you're going to say no. But, verse 35, last verse of the day. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Okay, another version says wisdom is known by her children. That which is true, Jesus is saying John was true, I'm true, we're both true. But you're rejecting both messages. That which is true will produce change, power, and life where that truth is accepted. If you do a study on one person's individual life and then maybe five and then 10 of those who've accepted the teachings of Jesus Christ, the ministry of John the Baptist, that is preparing your place for Jesus through repenting of your sin. If you do that, those people walk in power, life and purpose everywhere. Not just individuals, cultures. Where Jesus is preached and accepted Everything changes. Wisdom is proven by her children. John the Baptist changed thousands of lives. Jesus Christ has changed billions of lives forever. Yet there's a generation out there who says, eh, I see you playing that music. I ain't dancing. You almost got me to cry that one time, but I ain't crying. And Jesus would look at that generation and say, are you for real? Look what's happening. Look around us. And I'm here to encourage you all this morning. I want to have the worship team come up now and lead us in a closing song. But I'm here to encourage you this morning to remember that what Jesus is doing is worth it. That what Jesus is doing is right. That what Jesus is up to right now in our world is so important. And if there be any offense in the room, or if there be any kind of question or quizzing or nitpicking, that you would just say, Lord, help me not to be offended by you. Lord, help me not to be offended by you. As a matter of fact, close your eyes right now. Let's pray that in, because I do not want to be offended by the Lord. I do not want to be offended in my rebellion and sin. Lord, in Jesus' name, search the hearts here this morning for the men and for the women. Lord, if there be anything that we've held on to, that culture's given to us, that we said, this is how it is, this is what I want, and yet we look at Jesus and it's different. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength today and the courage, Lord, to surrender our ways and to accept your ways, even if it means we suffer. That's what you said to John. And I pray, Lord, that that would be our faith today, that you would give it to us even now. And if you're here today and you would just simply say, you know what, I am weak I, I don't have anything. I'm not promising. I'm not going to... 
what I'm, I, I, but I need Jesus. That's what I, I need. I don't have anything to offer. I have everything to get. I need help in my life. I'm, I'm messed up. I feel like I'm the cat that needs to be turned around. I, I don't know if I'm living my life right. And I, Jesus, would you please dedicate yourself to me and work it out? I need you to lead my life. Raise your hand up right now, everybody that wants Jesus to lead your life. And I praise you, raise your hand up high that you would get a peace within your soul that it will be okay because of Jesus. Not because of you, not because of me, but because of Jesus. And Jesus, I pray you'd grab those hands that are reached out high right now and you'd squeeze them. and Let these men and women know, singles and couples know that you'll be faithful to complete the work you began in them. That, Lord, you will work it all out. That you are good regardless if things go weird in our lives. We raise our hand to you because we need you. We surrender to you. Lord, take us. Take our lives. Minister to us and may your word produce fruit. And may our lives, Lord, be evidence of your goodness in this world that needs so badly to see that Jesus is real. We love you. We need you. We're coming to the table now. You can put your hands down. We're going to come to the table now, Lord. And we're going to take the elements and we're going to rejoice in the finished work on the cross that you died on the cross and your blood was spilled and your body was broken and you were buried and then raised from the dead. And we can now celebrate in believers' communion that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And now we get to proclaim, Lord, with joy your death until you return. We do what we do now in Jesus' name. Amen.